Howdy and welcome to the Our Lady of the Cry Room podcast. A podcast about farming, family, and faith. With my parents, Betsy and Matthew. Hello and welcome to Our Lady of the Cry Room podcast. What's up, Betsy? Episode 3, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is that the right response? I don't know. That is not really something I grew up doing. That whole thing it feels very foreign to me. Yeah, my friends all do it. That he is risen, he is risen indeed. And what is like, okay. What does that come from? Is that a thing from something? Is it, it must be a thing from something. Okay. But I don't know where. Okay. Well, I mean, it's nice. I don't think yeah. it's a bad thing. What? Yeah, I agree. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Easter Vigil was good. It was good. It's always good. It's my favorite. It was very late, though. Yeah, it started a half hour later than usual, and we stayed a little bit later at the reception afterward than we usually do, because Abby and Susan were there. And so we had a very late night. And then, what happened this morning? Well, Katie came in at 7.30, and then she remembered that it was Easter, and asked if she could find her basket. And I said, yes, I want to go back to sleep. And then Teddy and Jimmy and everybody came in and I just kept saying, yes, go do whatever you want. I'm going back to sleep. Okay. And then everyone got up and ate all the candy in their baskets before there were any adults ever anywhere awake. Well, Teddy still had some trouble getting some of his open. So he came and hit me when I got up to make breakfast and was bleary eyed. He held it out to me and said, open it. Yummy candy. So it was pretty exciting for them to, I mean, that sounds like a perfect Easter morning from a child's point of view. Find your basket, just sit down and eat all the candy and nobody's telling you no or... And learning that Easter is all about candy. Right. Yay. But there's time and they certainly know the story well. They seem to. So I'm not worried about that. I do think we probably ought to figure out something different so that every year it's not just a candy binge free for all before I'm awake. But I I support that it w- went down this way this year. I would support a system in which we go ahead and keep the candy bins, but we make it clear that under no circumstances are they to wake their parents up. <laughs> yes, just find your basket, have your candy binge, and don't come and tell me about each different kind or ask permission for another one. Just let me continue to sleep. Let your parents sleep. Do what you want. Burn the house down, whatever. Let us sleep. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. <laughs> that's. I think that's a good plan. Okay. That'll be next year. All right. Well, you want to talk about the farm? That's what we're supposed to do first, right? Yes. So I am guessing that on the farm this week, we are going to, um, we're going to plant corn. I just don't know. All I have is a text message where Brian said, hey, were you shooting, were you planning to try to plant corn on the 20th? And then I texted him back and said, I was just planning on waiting until you guys got here and I figured I'd plant when you guys did. And then he never really said that, well, that's our plan. But, you know, then I texted him and asked him if it was all right if it was no-till and he said, yeah, that'd be great. But he never did give me a date. And so I don't know. All right. Uh, I'm really not in a hurry to get it in the ground. Because you want the ground to warm up more. Well, my thought, you know, everybody's in a hurry to get started. And if I had too much to farm, I would also be in a hurry to get started. But since I do not have too much to farm, I uh, 
<laughs> which is terrible. But anyway, I'm not in a hurry because, you know, the soil is going to keep warming up through, you know, I don't know, August. I mean, it's just going to keep getting warmer and warmer. But so if you plant corn right now this week, like the second week of April, right? And then if you plant one field the second week of April, and let's say you had two fields and you plant the other field the first week of May, honestly, there's not a huge difference in what you're going to see a month from now because the soil is going to be warmer on the stuff. And now this is an average year because sometimes it might snow on the first of May. It's done it before. But in my, I just feel like there's not, you know, if you if you don't have all the acres to cover, which is what most people are up against, then it doesn't make a huge difference because it's all about the soil temperature because the warmer the soil is, the, the faster those plants are going to grow, the baby plants. Well, so. that's interesting. I didn't know that, that the soil temperature affected the speed of the growth of the plant. Oh, completely. And that's true of all the all plants? Well, I mean, it's all, uh, you know, all, I mean, I'm trying to say things off the cuff that won't I won't listen to later and think you're wrong scientifically but so I'm trying to say something I want to say something and then my brain is like do you know that that's true before you say it but plant growth for the most part is a is a heat um the 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 main energy is is heat and sunlight and it's you know it, it's all heat driven the more heat there is the faster all the enzymatic processes are going to happen in the plant because um, the plants, you know, taking up nutrients from the soil, but then, you know, photosynthesis, you have energy coming in, converting, uh, you know, sunlight to carbon, essentially. Yeah, that's what it's doing. And it's taking carbon dioxide out of the air, turning it into carbon that it can use to build hydrocarbons, which is what it's made of. And then all of those processes will go faster the warmer it is and slower. And so, like, the difference between wheat and corn, wheat's a cool season plant, corn's a warm season plant. Wheat is what's known as a C3 plant because the first carbon molecule it makes in the photosynthesis process has a three carbon has three carbons in the molecule. Whereas a C4 plant, which is what corn is, the first carbon molecule it makes in photosynthesis is a four-part carbon. And that four-part carbon molecule in corn is just a temporary molecule. They both end up at the same thing in the end, but corn makes this, has basically, they make this big supply of this C4, and then they run the same process that the C3 plants are doing. And because they have the two-stage system, they're more efficient in hot weather but in cold weather, they're less efficient. And the wheat is more efficient in the cold weather. But when it gets hot, it starts driving that photosynthesis process too fast for the plant to handle. And it can't keep the concentration it needs of, of, the, uh, of the C3 molecule to feed that reaction that's going on. And so that reaction goes faster and faster. And then it reaches out for that carbon molecule it needs to f finish the chemical reaction and it doesn't have one. And so what it does is it grabs, instead of a carbon dioxide, it grabs an oxygen. It's a net loss of energy for the plant. And that's why wheat dies in the summer is because that photosynthesis just gets going so fast that it can't physically keep up because it's just taking in the carbon passively. Whereas the corn is actively enriching itself with carbon and that allows it to keep up with that reaction as it gets hot, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I think it does. It's interesting. I've never 
thought that much about plants. Now here, this, I know that you love my garden, and it doesn't annoy you at all. But It's my favorite thing. I know. I feel like I should be planting the garden now because uh, at Dylan's they have their plants out. But then I also feel like there's no reason to plant it now because it's too early and I should wait for it to get warmer and wait past the frost date. So if the soil temperature affects all plants, then I'm right and I should wait. There's no, there's no hurry to get those in the ground. It depends on the plants you're growing and it depends on what your goal is. So like if it's a plant that's going to keep producing fruit or vegetables all summer long past it gets to a certain point and you want to maximize your production, then put it in earlier. Because then it will be in the reproductive stage where it's making fruit for a longer period of time. Whereas like corn, it's, got, it's just a one-trick pony. It, it makes the corn and then it dies. That's it. Oh, okay. So that's probably why people are putting in their plants now. They want to have right. more produce through the, through the summer. Yeah, you just, have, you just lengthen out that length of time. Some of those plants you don't want to plant until the risk of frost is gone or unless you're prepared to go put tarps over the ground at night. Right. And really, my entire goal with the garden is just to have good jobs for the kids to do in the summer. Right. So, there's no big reason to plant them until it's closer to when there's they're no going to be out hurry. there. Okay. The, the other reason I'm not in a hurry to plant the corn, specifically the dryland corn, is that, well, especially the dryland corn, I want it to get off to a fast start. My goal with the dryland corn is I have a lot of moisture in the ground right now, and I have no idea whether I'm going to have moisture the rest of the year. So I want it to pop out of the ground as fast as possible and then just race as fast as it can to reproductive stage, make corn and get done and get out just in case it doesn't rain. If it rains, it'll slow it down and I'll get more corn. But if it doesn't, if it's got that good start to it, I feel like it'll have enough moisture in the soil, you know, just with a little bit of help to go ahead and make some corn, which is better than zero corn, which is what we want to avoid. You don't want it lounging around. Sucking well, up all of its moisture before it's time to make corn. Exactly. I if I want it to be just going, going, going. And the other thing is, is that I have, you know, I finish wheat harvest whenever that is. Hopefully not July 23rd like it was last year. And then I have to get all my wheat cleaned. And then hopefully I get done with wheat cleaning before I have to cut my corn. Because then I got to pull my trucks out and... You know, I got to use all my equipment to cut corn and not to clean seed wheat. And so I'm not really in a big hurry to plant the dryland corn because then I might have to cut it, you know, the 1st of August and I still got, you know, a month of seed cleaning to do. About guarantee that corn will be ready before I'm done cleaning seed, but I want to minimize that. But when they show up and want to plant corn, I'm going to go ahead and plant corn. So so that the field's all at the same Place. Well, this, the circle needs to be all planted at the same time. I mean, you could half and half it, and maybe I will. I think about it every year. It's not a bad idea. I might do it. It depends on how I feel that day. We'll see. But it's all, you know, you got to put down your pre-emergent chemical for weed control, and then you got to water that in because that stuff's really expensive. And so if you can water it in, you go ahead and water it in, unless it rains at perfect timing, which sometimes it does. And then... You know, it's just easier to spray the whole thing at once than to split it up. But this year, yeah, maybe I'll plant half of it and wait a week and then plant the second half. Well, stay tuned. We will let you know stay what tuned, we do. because I don't really know that I'm going to have any custom planning to do this year. So I might really have a lot of time on my hands. It's exciting. 
Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. The other thing is, I you know, it's play week for Little Shop of Horrors, so I'm going to be leaving the farm every night at five or six or whatever, and so that makes a pretty short day. Right. And I'm yeah. not going to feel like driving to town in the morning to drop the boys off at Grandma's house, so... So it's just going to be a noon to five kind of week. Noon to five week, which is hard to get a lot done. Um, but, you know, that's what's going on. Okay. I guess. Is that enough of what's going on? I think so. Seems a good update. Yeah. All right. So, family... The Great Chocolate Binge of 2017. Right. We'll see the effects of that. So, this week, the kids were really crazy this week. Yeah. I didn't know if they were really crazy or if I was just kind of really no, they grouchy. Were, they but were really crazy. I felt a lot better when you said that they were actually being crazy. They were actually just, Jimmy was just out of control Okay. all week, and I don't know why. But we, it's possible that it was the incredibly decadent brownies with the espresso powder. Yeah, that might have been a bad choice to make for your birthday. So... I don't know. It is quite possible that I, those brownies, because there was a lot of caffeine in those brownies. Oh, my goodness. They were tasty, but I don't think that I want to risk making them again. Yeah, because of the effect on the children. If if the brownies are to blame for this week's they behavior. They were really good, but wow. I'd have to like quarter that recipe and just hide them and just give them to you and not let the children know about yeah, them. Except that, and I was, I was grouchy too, but maybe I was grouchy... I think you were grouchy because the kids were Cause insane. I mean, I just, I don't even know where to start. They were crazy all week long. Okay. It really does make me feel better. that I didn't just like lose all of my patience for Holy Week. Special for Holy Week, you have no patience left. So that's good. And we didn't take them to any of the masses for Holy Week. Yeah, yes. Zero. Yay. <laughs> but we did do the, the Tenebrae prayers. And I liked that. I mean, they were nuts the whole time, but at least it was something. I felt like it was something. They know it's Easter. Yes. They know the story. They know what Easter means. And I think that not taking them to vigil until they're ready to start, have their first communion is kind of neat. And then it makes it special. I mean, Katie is really looking forward to it when she gets to go. So that's a good thing. It's an all right plan. I don't know. It's not perfect, but it is. We can revise it each year as we need to. This year, I really feel like it was a good choice not to try and take that particular batch of children. Yeah, this particular blend of children we have right now, and especially this last week, would not have worked at any of... I mean, we would have just been out in the hall or in the cry room just being miserable. Right. And it's so late. I mean, when church starts at 7, that is already past bedtime. Right. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't think I have any other family updates. Well, we just go through the children one by one. Anna had her band tour. Right. Did you talk to her about it? I did. I mean, I forgot about it. So I just barely asked her about it. She said it went all right. So I don't even know. Yeah, she didn't give me much information either. She said her her favorite school was uh, when they went to AP work because she saw Mrs. Darter, who was our old principal. So she was excited about that. Um, but I didn't get very much information. But I, she doesn't, I have a hard time getting any information out of her. She's closing down those vaults. She's heightening right. security. Yes. Prepping. And I'm not sure. I just don't know what you, what you do there. You know, asking more questions doesn't help. Also, it seems asking fewer questions. Didn't you say? Also does not work. You're not allowed to read a book. You just have to sit here next to me. 
and I'll be quiet. But she's stubborn enough that she would also just be quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. But well, she's, she's a very nice good. girl. Yeah. Katie, she had her Easter egg hunt at school. Right. She had her Easter egg hunt at school and she was extremely excited about it. And when she got off the bus with her little basket full of eggs, the first thing she said was, I am going to go hide these for my brothers. So that was very sweet. Super sweet. And she let them eat the candy and their eggs. She did yell at them when they didn't, I don't, they didn't find them the way she wanted them to find them somehow. Yeah. She had in her mind all set how it was going to go. I got talked too loudly because I didn't notice the egg sitting by my chair that was for me that had Starburst in it. Yes. But she was able to loudly, Daddy, you should look over here by your, look. Oh, oh, look, is there an egg there? <laughs> I'm glad you took the hint. Yeah. And there was an egg in Harry's bed, a golden egg in Harry's bed. Was there? Yes. And another egg in Teddy's bed. Was there candy inside Harry's egg? Yes. So I had to tell her that it was really fun, but Harry couldn't actually have. Just take the candy out, then put the egg in, and that's yes. fine. Yes. So that was sweet. And Jimmy had a wild week. Lots of time in the pig pen, which is good, but also just a lot of craziness. But normally he gets tired out and playing outside, and then it's okay. But this week he just was didn't know when to stop. Right. Yes, that's a very good description. He and Teddy were in the bathtub yesterday and started splashing and he just was out of control. So, I don't know. He needs rest. When he doesn't get enough rest, he really loses it. And it's, I don't know. I don't even feel like it's naughty. It just is out of control. Yeah, it's like he doesn't, he doesn't understand why he's doing it either or right. intentional about it. This is like... Yes. Yeah, he just, this look on his face of, I'm doing this, I don't know why, but I'm going to go with it because I don't know what else to do, and oh, now everybody's mad at me. Yeah, but not even normally. I mean, when he's in a sort of more normal place and you're upset with him, he's upset. Right. But he doesn't even have a normal reaction when he's in that on-the-edge state, so I don't know. He needs to get enough rest. It's very important. And not eat espresso brownies. Yes, probably not eat espresso brownies. Even if, what is only a teaspoon of espresso powder? A teaspoon and a half for the whole thing. But man, those, those were just dense chocolate. They were very tasty. They were amazing, but... They were not child-friendly. Teddy had a great morning eating all the candy he could unwrap himself and tricking his dad into unwrapping candy before his dad was woke up enough to say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, he likes candy. He likes it a lot. He's, he's always had a good sweet tooth. Well developed. So Yay. They're gonna be sad in the morning when they wake up and the candy is all out mm -hmm. of sight again. But we can dole it out. They're usually I can make them clean things for pieces of candy. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And then Harry had a good morning finding wrappers on the floor and chewing on them till somebody fished them out of his mouth. Yeah. And there were lots of people around today and Harry always likes that. And he's pulling up on everything but not cruising around. He can get himself down fifty percent of the time. He's a happy guy. So, so we get to Faith and get this over with so we can go to get some sleep because, my goodness, I'm tired. Yes. Okay, but I do have somewhat of a convoluted thought, but I think you can follow it. Okay, so you know I like to look at the world and figure out how the world is pointing to God. Yes. It's one of my favorite mental pastimes. So I've been thinking about children's books because I read a lot of children's books. 
And in our book tournament at school, the book that won this week, or we've been doing it for a month or so, was Snow Dog's Journey by Loretta Kropinski. And I was very surprised. I did not pick this book to be the winner. Snow Dog's Journey is about a some children and they make a dog out of snow and then the frost king blows on the dog and makes it real and then frost king tells the dog how he's only made of snow and ice and so he's you know he can't get too close to the fire or he'll melt the snow dog decides to go back to the children and they're happy to see him and they pull him in by the fire but when the snow dog gets by the fire he doesn't melt he turns into a real dog and children love this kind of story where love makes something real or that love is made flesh. Velveteen Rabbit is another example. There are lots of examples of things. I I was about to say the Velveteen Rabbit. Okay, good. There are lots of examples of this and kids love that kind of story. And I think that points to God. We're created to be attracted to this kind of story, that love makes things real. Jesus is love made flesh. People are love made flesh. And over and over again, that reality is reflected in the world. And so children are drawn to that truth, I think, without thinking about any of that. What do you think? About what children think? I don't know. Do you think you can extrapolate a larger meaning in the the trope that is that kind of story? Not on the spur of the moment. Oh. Um, that makes sense. And why? I don't know. That sort of thing shows up in children's books. I don't know if it's that I don't read enough adult literature or that adults are not as honest as children or that I understand children better than I understand adults. But the things that kids like seem to make more sense to me and be more genuine. Well, because the adults have all sorts of baggage about like, well, we need to teach the children about da-da-da or even their own worldview has all kinds of baggage on it. Right. Whereas the kids don't have any baggage for the worldview. Right. So they can just see. This is true. This isn't true. Mm-hmm. And appreciate it for that. Instead of, I want this to be true. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try really hard to make it true, whether or not it's true, which is my impression of a lot of modern literature is really trying to make, really trying hard to make something true that isn't. Mm-hmm. Because it fits with their worldview and what they want the world to be. Right. And they can try and try and try, but it's not true. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. The book that, like, I'm, I picked out a winner that I liked, and the writing in that book was really nice, and the message was nice, and I liked the illustrations, and it didn't make it out of the first round. And I would not have picked this Snow Dog's Journey because I just, I just wouldn't have picked it. And, but you could tell when you read it aloud to the kids, they're all transfixed. The whole time. Right. Even though it had a lot of words. But there's something very special about a book that can hold 25 wiggling first graders and have them all be interested. Well, I I mean, boy, I really notice that reading to the boys in the morning because there are some books that are fairly short that are just so hard to get through. And then they pull out a book like this week they pulled out Make Way for Ducklings, mm-hmm. which is really long has a lot of words and I have no trouble reading it to them and they enjoy it and I enjoy it because it's so well written. And then we have the worst books, which are the very long, poorly written books that they want to hear over and over again. (laughs) And I don't like them. Make Way for Ducklings really is a treasure. 
Yeah. I've read it so many times and I still look forward to reading it. It's the kind of book where the people, you know, in the city where it's set might build a statue based on that book in the city Mm -hmm. because it just captures the city so well. Yes. But that one doesn't have anything about, I suppose the ducklings are love between Mr. and Mrs. Mallard made real. No. It has nothing to do with... (laughs) That's just a well-written book. I don't feel like there's much in the way of a deeper meaning in Make Way for Ducklings. And there's something very nice about that, too. Just a nice story that's not trying to say anything or sell an idea. Right. It's just a good story. But I wonder if you put a book like Make Way for Ducklings on your little board for your contest, how it would do with children. I mean, I would say it'd probably do just as well as it would any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing the book tournament again next year. And I think I want to make it bigger. We started with 16 books this year, and I think we could start with more. Okay. So did you have anything about faith? Well, I mean, we have a couple of big things. Uh, either Call Me Francis or Easter Vigil or both. Call Me Francis was very good on Netflix. Very but, good, but, but intense. Yeah. And, there were definitely m- um, large parts where I left the room, just FYI. Definitely rated R for lots of things. Right. Language, torture, violence. And it's in Spanish, which I like. I mean, I like reading, so I like watching foreign movies where I have to read. And I really enjoyed listening to the Spanish and comparing it to the subtitles. But it's just interesting how much about someone's life that you don't know. Now, I had no idea that Francis had been through... All of that, or that Argentina was, I knew that, I had no idea that it was that bad. Well, I knew stuff happened in Argentina. I knew stuff was bad in Argentina. I knew that Pope Francis came from Argentina. I never put it together that he was from Argentina. And it's the same Argentina as that other Argentina that was really bad. Right, and that the time periods match up. Yeah, right, where he actually was involved. And I thought it was just an interesting movie because it, it didn't try to win you over one way or the other. It it just seemed very, this is what happened kind of thing, if, yes. if that makes sense. Well, I thought that, but then I thought, what if they're just so good at trying to sway me, but I just don't even notice? One of the huge controversies in, as you know, I Wikipedia binged right. after watching it, one of the huge controversies about Jorge Bergoglio was his involvement as the head of the Jesuits. And then you had these two Jesuit priests that were abducted by the government. And then there's always been this question of what was his involvement with that? Did he denounce them? Did he, was he somehow involved? Was, and they didn't answer it one way or the other. I felt like when he went to go talk to the priests, he didn't have a choice. Like he was going to have to remove his protection or whatever. Or else... It might be that the movie makes more sense if you understand the language in which they're speaking. That could be. I, I, will, I will say that that might be the case. Because I feel like I need to watch it again. Because I feel like there's a lot of stuff I missed. The more the point was that they weren't saying, look, he did the right thing every single time he had a choice. Right. Yes. They were like, he made a choice. Uh-huh. For whatever reason, he made what he thought was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Which is all you can ask of anybody. And sometimes those choices didn't go well. And sometimes, you know, there are some people he was able to help and keep from being disappeared. And then there's people he knew that were disappeared, that he wasn't able to help. He didn't know 
what actions he was doing would lead to which end, and none of us do. Right. It's just his had these huge outsized consequences, every decision he made. He made a lot of really difficult decisions under a lot of stress, and the end results often seemed not good, whether or not that was his fault or not. But I mean, you can't, you can't tell me that he didn't feel somehow responsible for what happened to those priests, no matter his involvement. You, you, you would as a human. Right. You know, towards the end of the movie, movie, he's talking to the young priest who he wants to move out of his situation to a different one. And the priest is upset. And it's like, I'm not leaving my people. And there's these kids playing soccer over there. And he's like, the great thing about soccer is you don't know. It's funny because this is what I've always, every time I've tried to watch soccer, the problem is who is winning? I don't know. And apparently, according to this film, no one does. And that was his point is that we're like the players on the soccer field and we go forward here. We step back here. We try to do, we try to make a pass here. It doesn't work. We, um, you know, we can't tell in the moment whether what we have just done makes our team have more of a chance of winning or more of a chance of losing. And the same thing is true with our, our walk with God is that we can't, we, we can't see everything that's happening. We don't know what to us is a setback might be exactly what needs to happen. And then you have the whole marry the entire of knots portion, his, his great, spiritual pivot i guess if you would is really how they presented it in the film where he goes from taking all this stress on himself to letting go they did a neat thing um when they had the world uh i don't remember what it's called but the big family deal here in the united states this fall last fall whenever but they uh, i think maybe there was a statue or mural or something but there were lots of pieces of cloth and you could write your knots and tie a knot and write and leave it there Take one of the prayer cards for the Endure of Nuts. It's like a combination prayer art installation that sort of honored that devotion. I thought it was neat. Had you heard of it before? Mary the Entire of Knots? Yes. I mean, only in passing. I had never paid much attention to it. I like that scene in the movie. I think because the, the idea of being cold and then walking into a church and hearing your language right. seems just hugely powerful and... I was very happy that he got to have that. Right. And it fits in with my worldview that everything matters. Bad things happen in a lot of places. And more than one. I think sometimes I think that once something bad has happened to somebody, that that's like their allotment. But that's not actually how life works. There are lots of bad things that happen to people over the course of a life. I just, I don't think we realized that growing up. I never knew that. Yeah. And it also makes you sort of feel sorry for Pope Francis that he has to be Pope. Definitely that. But he seems happy enough. He, he's, he does seem happy. That can probably be enough, don't you think? Well, do you want to talk about Easter Vigil at all, or just, we already did, and just skip it? Well, what would you say about Easter Vigil? It's always nice. It starts in the dark. It starts and you feel like it's going to be so long. And then you get into it, and it's just nice the whole time. It doesn't feel that long. But it does happen too late at night. I never feel that way the day of, but I definitely feel it the next day. And I really enjoyed having Deacon Jacob here. It was just really exciting as we've had such a drought of new priests over the past 
10 years, 15 years in the diocese. So to see another young, almost priest is really exciting. Yeah, I was really happy that it was here. For me personally, the Easter Vigil is really important. Why is that? I try to go back and decide when was the, the big change in my thinking that led me to become a Catholic. And so I keep trying to come up with dates. Well, this thing happened and that really affected me this way. So what I've come up with so far as the earliest thing that really happened was when my dad and I visited the cathedral in Dodge City. And we looked around the whole thing and there's a booklet there that uh, Bishop Gilmore wrote about why everything is the way it is. And about the design of the property and the design of the doors and the design of the windows and the design of the space and the every single thing he talks about why it's there. And so for me coming from churches, you know, where, you know, in college, I was at a church where we were in a school gym meeting and, you know, then I guess the view of the building is just being a building. And so there was something about visiting the cathedral and thinking about people building a building, not just for the sake of a place for people to show up and meet, but that the building itself could be a work of art and the building itself could be a picture of God and man's relationship to God. In the booklet about the cathedral, he talks about the Easter Vigil because he said that was the starting point for the design of the whole cathedral was the Easter Vigil. We built the whole cathedral with the Easter Vigil in mind. The very center of the property is where the fire is that starts the Easter Vigil. And I had never heard of the Easter Vigil or fire or any of this. I didn't know anything, but I was so intrigued. And also going there with my dad, who was Catholic and who never stopped being Catholic. My mom left the Catholic Church when I was five and dad never left. But it also got me thinking about all of the churches in Kansas where you have these dirt poor immigrants come in and they have nothing. They get this land and they're farmers, and they all pool all of their money together over years and years and build these absolutely breathtaking churches. And what would make them do that? And why would they do that? And why was that important to them? So in my head, it's all wrapped up with the Easter Vigil too because of that experience of visiting the cathedral and and really thinking about the idea that the things of this world are not completely unimportant. The idea of beauty for beauty's sake being a good. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So not a beautiful church is not vanity, but instead a way to point to God. Right. And it's not a waste of money because mm-hmm. that was like the view that I was brought up with. You know, you always have this idea that why would you build this building, you know, when you could have spent it on evangelization or helping people and it's very funny if you read the Bible who says something like that along those lines in the Bible is Judas Iscariot. Um, and also interesting that that building evangelized you. <laughs> that is very interesting now that I think about it. It's all tied in together. The reason why we were in Dodge City was to talk to dad's cousin about buying a my great-grandfather's land. We wanted to buy this piece of land. And so we went and talked to John about it to see if we could. And so that was sort of wrapped up in it too, because it was this, you know, I was trying to catch a piece of my history and hold on to it. And then we go to this Catholic church, which, and then it, it sort of comes together in my head that, you know, your grandparents 
not only were they Catholic, that's why they came to America was so that they could practice their faith because they were being persecuted where they came from. And not only that, but that when they came here, they had nothing. And the first thing they did was, how are we going to build a nice church? How are we going to build a church? When they, they were the poor, you know? And so it's all sort of wrapped up for me together, I guess, in my Right. Well, as, as it would be in any good children's story, all the pieces come together. That's what people like. Because that was the winter of 0304 that we made that trip. And then, and then JP2 died. And then I was able to watch the Papal Conclave, which I'd never seen before because it never happened before. And so it sort of all tumbles together. Very slowly. <laughs> Over a very long <laughs> period of time. And so then when Linda joined the church, that was the first time I ever actually made it to the Easter Vigil which was something I kind of wanted to go to ever since I had visited the cathedral, but just never had an opportunity, I guess, or never, well, generally because I was playing drums Easter morning. And so it just wasn't going to happen. But then I had a reason to go and I have never not gone back. And that was, this was my eighth Easter vigil. Yeah. I don't think that I had ever heard of the Easter vigil before you talked about it. And I grew up in the church. And that's really weird, too. That's <laughs> but the Abby other... says that she went with mom one year because somebody was joining the church. And really? so they went. Oh. Um, but I don't think that I had any idea that Easter Vigil existed. But the first time I went, which is probably when Linda joined the church, um, I just felt like, oh, this is so Eastery. This is the Easteriest thing ever. It, it is really, the Easteriest thing. It really thing feels is... like Easter. You go to the, the Easter Vigil. It is pageant. It is a pageant. It is a drama from the moment you get out there and you're outside and it's cold and there's a fire. And then you go inside a dark church and everything's dark and they have all these Old Testament readings and it's dark. And then they slowly turn on the lights and then you get to the New Testament and all of the lights come on. And and it means even more, you know, being in the Catholic Church now because then we see the, the Gloria, which we haven't sung, you know. At least on, you know, I guess you sing it at Thursday, but you don't sing it during Lent. And so then the lights come on and you sing the Gloria and it's, oh yeah, it's Easter. Yeah, it uses all of the senses and it does admit these are all the things that people like and we are built this way. But I don't know. It doesn't feel manipulative. It feels like embracing all of the things, all the way that we actually are as people. The incense smells and the lights and the... I think that's it. I think that's it for this week. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. You've been listening to Our Lady of the Cry Room podcast. I'm Matthew. You are... Betsy. If you have feedback and you would like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at feedback at ourladyofthecryroom.com. According to my Blueberry statistics, there have been zero downloads in the last week. (laughs) But I know that's not true because I downloaded it. (laughs) So I think I have a setting wrong. So somewhere between zero... And two. Well, no. No. Because we don't know what the high end is. Oh, right. It says zero, but I know it's not zero Mm -hmm. because I downloaded it. And I downloaded it. And Heath downloaded it. Okay. So I know there's at least three downloads, but it says zero. So we know that it wasn't zero. So we know that number's wrong. And we know that there's, you know, 7 billion people on the earth. Now, I don't know how many of those have access to the internet. But we know that, yeah, we can estimate 
pretty accurately that somewhere between zero, well, no, somewhere between three and six billion downloads happened. Okay. That's, a bit, that's exciting. Yeah. So I, I'd say we're off to a pretty good start because that <laughs> average is out. You know, if you just run a, a straight average, that's like three billion downloads is yeah. what we got. Okay. Math is great. Yeah. I'm good at it. <laughs> okay. See you next week. Have a good week, y'all. Our Lady of the Cry Room, pray for us. Happy Easter!